Hello and welcome to Habemus Papam, episode 187, Martin the Fourth. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. So over the next couple of episodes, we're going to draw out a conflict which has already been bubbling under the surface in the church and which will really come to the fore today and will shape the next hundred years or so of the papacy. The conflict is between French-speaking cardinals and the French-speaking church who are closer to the kings of France and Charles of Anjou, the king of Sicily, and the Italian cardinals and the Italian-speaking church who are more independent and opposed to the French. Last week, we heard about Nicholas III, the famous, uh, a member of the famous Orsini family, who was very much on the Italian side of things and was skeptical, if not outright antagonistic, to Charles of Anjou. So with today's pope, Charles is not going to take any chances. Today's pope was indeed French. He was born Simon de Brie, a member of the family of the Counts of Champagne. He studied in Paris before being ordained a priest and serving as a canon and the treasurer of the Church of St. Martin of Tours in France. In 1260, he was appointed the, an advisor of the king and eventually chancellor of the kingdom of France. Pope Urban IV, who, if you remember, was French himself and also an advisor to the king, appointed Simon the cardinal priest of Santa Cecilia in 1262. He was chosen by the pope to help negotiate with Charles of Anjou and to have him crowned king. And then he was sent to the court of St. Louis to serve as the ambassador for the pope to the French king. This was an incredibly important and delicate assignment. He helped place Charles of Anjou on the throne of Sicily and then had to get the other European powers, especially St. Louis, on board. Under Gregory X and Nicholas III, there was much less sympathy with Charles, who had grown overly ambitious and was trying to put himself up as the ruler of Italy and much of Eastern Europe. So when Nicholas III died in Viterbo in 1280, Charles wasn't going to leave the election of a new pope to chance. He had a lot of things going for him, the first being that the people of Viterbo weren't huge fans of the Orsini family. So during the election, the people of Viterbo, prompted by Charles, imprisoned Cardinals Matteo Orsini and Giordano Orsini, Pope Nicholas's relatives, under the pretext that they were slowing down the election too much. With them gone, and with pressure being applied by Charles, eventually the Cardinals elected Cardinal Simon, Charles's preferred candidate. This took place after a six-month vacancy on February 22, 1281. The new pope took the name Martin IV, which we will need to pause on because if you are very astute, you will ask yourself, hang on, we've only had one Pope Martin so far, St. Martin I. So why do we skip to the fourth? And the answer is that we had two Pope Marinuses, and in the Middle Ages, they got counted as Martins. But today, we recognize them as Marinus I and Marinus II, not Martin II and Martin III. So that's why today's Pope is called Pope Martin IV. Now, he probably took the name due to his own connection with St. Martin of Tours, which was the name of the church where he had served as a canon. The new Pope Martin was a pious guy and not a craven politico, even though he was preferred by Charles of Anjou. And so he wasn't too happy with the interference in the papal election. He ordered the release of the two Orsini cardinals, and to punish the people of Viterbo for locking them up, he put the city under interdict, which meant no celebration of the sacraments that were allowed except for in danger of death, which also meant that he had to get out of town if he wanted to be consecrated bishop and crown the pope. So he couldn't go to Rome because the Romans were pretty angry at having a French pope instead of an Italian. So he went to the town of Orvieto, where he was installed as Bishop of Rome on March 23, 1281. Pope Martin's papacy was a pretty big shift from his predecessors. He changed the anti-Charles policies that they had undertaken and was decidedly pro-French and pro-Charles. 
His first consistory, he created seven cardinals, and who he chose was pretty interesting. Four of them were French, giving the French a majority of cardinals in the College of Cardinals. Two were Italian, one of which was Benedetto Cayetani, who we've already met and will meet again. Cardinal Cayetani was pretty pro-Charles earlier on in his career, so it makes sense that if Martin's going to choose an Italian, it would be a pro-Charles Italian. One of them was English. It was the priest and doctor Hugh of Evesham. Cardinal Hugh had been brought to Rome because he was such a renowned doctor and had been commissioned by the Pope to try and find a cure for malaria, which was always a problem in the summer, and he became the Pope's personal doctor. Martin was also pro-French in other ways. He was the one who started the canonization process for the former king of France and his former boss, St. Louis IX. St. Louis would be canonized after Martin's papacy, but the initiative started the ball rolling. It turns out that when he was still in France as a cardinal, Pope Gregory X had also sent a secret memo to investigate thoroughly the holiness of St. Louis. And so by the time he completed the task and had all his documents in order, he was elected pope, so now he actually got the process started in Rome. Now, there were two big consequences of Pope Martin's turn toward Charles, and both of them are pretty bad. The first is that he now sided with Charles in his ambition to expand his influence in the East, especially the Balkans and towards Constantinople. Now, previous popes had put a check on Charles because of the reunion of the Orthodox Eastern churches and the Western church brought about during the Second Council of Lyon, if you remember from a couple episodes ago. But now, Martin supported outright Charles's ambitions, and even when the Easter Emperor was fairly conciliatory towards the Pope, Martin actually excommunicated him, which all but ended the union between the Eastern and Western churches. It would be officially repudiated by the next Emperor, but at this point it's as good as dead. Now the second bigger consequence of Pope Martin's pro-Angevin, and Angevin refers to Charles of Anjou, turn centered on Sicily. Charles was getting ready to spring from Sicily to the east, and at the same time his rivals, especially the king of Aragon and Spain, King Pedro III, were planning on taking Charles down. King Pedro built a large fleet of vessels, and when the Pope asked him why he was doing that, he said, oh, don't worry, I'm just going to use them to help the crusade against northern African pirates. But in reality, they were made for Sicily. Now, tensions between the Sicilians and the French Angevin soldiers who were governing there boiled over on the evening of Easter Monday, 1282. The Sicilians were angry with the French rulers and upset because of Charles's high taxes, and all that was needed was a spark for them to just ignite into an inferno. And so that evening, the Sicilian population of Palermo were celebrating the feast with an all-night vigil, and of course, as one does, some partying. The French troops came to the party and harassed one of the women present. Her husband jumped to her side and killed the French soldier at fault, and when his comrades tried to defend him, the Sicilians rose up and killed the rest of the French soldiers present. At that moment, the bells of the churches began ringing for the start of Vespers, which the Sicilians used to their advantage to call their countrymen to arms. They spent the next week stalking through cities and massacring every French person they could find. It didn't matter if they were men, women, children, clergy, or lay. By the end of the evening, 2,000 were dead, and thousands more died in the coming weeks. And because of the timing, this massacre has come down to us through history as the Sicilian Vespers. The Sicilians immediately turned to Pope Martin for support once the French were out of the country. And if you remember, one of the reasons that the Pope had authority to give Sicily to Charles in the first place is that for a long time, back to the Normans in fact, Sicily had been considered a papal thief, meaning that the Pope was technically the feudal lord of Sicily. Now, while that had very little to do with day-to-day -day operations, in a grand scale, it still meant something. The Sicilians begged to be taken back by the Pope directly, but Martin IV refused. He threw his support behind Charles and tried to get the Sicilians to take him back. 
Upset and in need of some support, the Sicilians turned to Pedro of Aragon and his convenient fleet, which was just off the coast, ostensibly fighting pirates. He made it to Sicily in no time, and this would mean war. Pope Martin excommunicated King Pedro of Aragon and even began the process of trying to call a crusade to invade Spain and defeat him. In the meantime, the Spanish were winning. He landed on Sicily in September 2nd and was proclaimed the King of Sicily on September 4th in the Cathedral of Palermo after promising to return to the Sicilians the rights they had under the last Norman king, William III. The Spanish fleet succeeded in defeating the fleet of Charles of Anjou off the coast of Sicily and took Charles's young son, Charles II, captive. Meanwhile, the crusade was taking shape. Pope Martin promised the Kingdom of Aragon in Spain to the brother of the King of France, Charles of Valois, and after some cajoling, he got the King of France, Philip the Fair, to lead the crusade into Spain, but it did not go well. Once they got some Spanish territory, they crowned Charles King of Aragon, but with an actual crown there, so they hadn't actually won anything and there was no actual crown, so I'm not sure if it actually really counts as a crowning. They lost several battles to Pedro III, and the king of France, Philip himself, died in battle in Spain, so it did not go well. Now, this conflict between Italy, Spain, and France is going to continue, but Pope Martin won't be a part of it. He died a few months before Philip, the king of France, and Pedro III, the king of Spain, in March of 1285 at Perugia in Umbria. He was buried in the Cathedral of Perugia, where you can still see his grave in the sacristy, and was succeeded by Pope Honorius IV, and we'll talk about him next time. Thanks for listening to Habemus Papam. You can check out the rest of the Catholic Bites podcast at catholicbitespodcast.com, where you can find us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you and God bless you.